Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we will talk about our first day behind bars. So questions that we want to answer in this episode is, did you ever take a field trip that changed your life? How accountable are you in your job? What's the first loud sound you hear? So get ready, turn in your keys for the next episode. guys welcome back this is your host vanny and cat we know you missed us oh missed you guys too so excited to be back for season two let me tell you i thought this day was never going to come yes but now it's finally here so thanks to everybody out there that's keep listening and has given us a season two that's amazing yes thank you all so excited for all our listeners around the world yes and i guess turkey just joined us yes send us some turkey love And, and, you know, another shout out to France. They have not missed a beat. We have South America with us as a Finland podcast. It's going good. Going good. Well, we felt that the first episode should talk about how our first day went working at a corrections facility. Or what led to the crazy decision to even go that way. Exactly. The experience on day one. (laughs) Yeah, but you started out early, though. I sure did. It was way too early. Maybe. Oh, and is this going to be a confession thing? It's kind of a confession, yeah. And I have, I realized after I was telling you the story earlier, there's a little weird plot that I just realized. As a kid, you don't remember these things, but right now, you'll understand when I share. Oh, okay. Ooh, secrets. <laughs> I love when you share. So here's my confession. So back in 1995, I was a fifth grader. And where I grew up at, they still had the D.A.R.E. program. If you guys know what the D.A.R.E. program is, the drug enforcement. I don't even remember what the D.A.R.E. really meant. <laughs> <laughs> Is it but, drug awareness? Drug awareness something. Wait, it'll come to me. Yeah. But <laughs> it was a great little it. decision that the cop that went over the D.A.R.E. program, his name was PC. We didn't call him Officer PC. We just knew him in town as PC. And then he decided he's going to take us to a little field trip and take us to the local de- detention center. Oh, yeah. D.A.R.E. means Drug Abuse Resistance Education. So this little field trip consisted of us going to the county jail and being able to experience walking into the jails like if you were an inmate. That was the experience. And so we got to look at, be inside a cell, play with a couple of handcuffs. We looked at like a commissary list of like, these are the things that you purchased. Can you imagine yourself without a Coke? One other thing that was pretty weird was just having to talk to your like root classmate with the glass right in between you. So they made us have that. Oh, like the visitation. Like the visitation. Yeah. So we had that experience of like, this is what it would look like. Wow. Can you imagine like if you went through that field trip now and like as a kid then go now and I go to the, to the jail or something or prison and it's like, I'm having to reenact that, but this time for rails with my room, my classmate, <laughs> that would be such a weird experience. Yeah. So what did that feel like a fifth grader? I mean, I think it was mostly about like intimidating you, like 
this is not a lifestyle that you want to have. You don't want to go to a jail. You don't want to have to do prison time. It was supposed to encourage you to like stay away from drugs, stay away from getting into trouble, basically. Yeah, but I mean, as, as a fifth grader who probably wasn't doing that, wasn't that scary to go through and see all this? In a way, it was. At the same time, though, like looking back now, I didn't know this at the time because I was maybe too ignorant. I was a youngster, but actually a lot of my classmates were smoking pot and it was like, ooh, bad thing to do in the night, like in the 90s, of course. So I think that was one of the reasons why. But this is a weird taboo moving forward of um, this cop PC, right? Apparently, like this was like the rumor in town and I'm from a very freaking small town, okay? The cop was the drug dealer. He was dealing cocaine, dope, meth, but he was the guy on the D.A.R.E. program. Like, the- My eyes are huge right now. You people can't see me. I'm like, what? The D.A.R.E. guy is the dope dealer. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So now, like, as an adult, I'm like thinking about all this stuff, right? Like, was it true? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what his real name was. Like I said, he, we knew him as PC. And I just realized, does PC mean police cop? What does PC even stand for? I don't know. So I'm trying to figure out if he was on both sides like that. Is he technically double dipping or just, you know, completely two different enterprises? And he was the town cop for like ever. Okay. Ever. Like he was there. Like he stayed there until he retired. Like he probably started his time in the force that like day one and he retired in that town. So like this dude could pull me over for a speeding ticket, but he's selling dope on the side. Oh yeah. Who's going to catch him? There's no other cop. Oh my God. (laughs) There's no other cop. Andy Griffith wouldn't have done that. That's Andy Griffith. This is not PC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's, I didn't really realize that, but that, you know, I guess drugs was a really big thing when there's nothing to do and you're from a small town. That's what people go to. I don't know why, but I never wanted to do that and care for that. Yeah, that seems to be a trend for a lot of small towns. Yeah. Not a lot to do. Oh, sit around and we'll do drugs. And then we get hooked and then it becomes a lifestyle and then it just takes over. I did have a really weird experience. I did have like, he was in my like maybe two, three grades above me. I was actually in town visiting and my brother was with me in the car and I wasn't speeding or anything. I don't know why I got pulled over, but I see it's a sheriff's cop that's pulling me over. And the sheriff's like walking. He's like, looks over at me and I roll down the window and I go, what up, Vicente? And he was like my friend growing up, like in high school. Like I knew him. He was like big basketball player. Like we all knew him because it was such a small town. And my brother's like, are we getting away with no ticket or with a ticket? And I was like, we got this. Don't worry. So I got out, (laughs) hugged the sheriff. And he's like, hey, did you know one of your lights in the back's out? And I was like, oh, I'm headed back to Tatum. So I'll get it fixed. I'll tell my dad to fix it. He's like, okay, cool. That's it. (laughs) And my brother's like, had that been me? Yeah, I would have gotten in trouble. He'd have been out of the car, on the hood. And then (laughs) years later on, too, my brother got in trouble for drinking and driving. And the judge that was going to, you know, give him his sentencing and stuff, he didn't have to do anything crazy. He gave him an easy pass. After, like, everybody had left, the judge told my brother that he knew his sister. He's like, I know your sister's Vanessa. He's like, I did it for her. I didn't want you to have to go through something crazy. So small towns, all about who you know. Yeah, I guess. Look at you, bribing the local constabulary and justice system. <laughs> then once I moved forward to working at Perryville Prison, it kind of is like a small town feel inside the prison. And I mentioned that. So my first day was, I worked for a temp agency. That's how I even got into working at the prison. So I was just told, hey, the phlebotomist is going on a maternity leave and we need somebody and she's taking an extended time okay, I can work at the prison. I'm not scared. I've seen some crazy stuff. I got this. <laughs> and I remember telling my parents, my parents were like, are you sure? Like, we're worried for you. I'm like, it's all women. 
I'm good. I can handle myself. Like that was my attitude, right? I think that was like way too much confidence, first of all. But I kept that confidence. And I remember every day I would like leave and I was like, thanks, one more time. (laughs) (laughs) So first day I ended up meeting meeting the other phlebotomist and she went and we took my photo so I can get a badge. So everybody knew that I was the lab chick, the local vampire in town. And just that experience of going to go like onto the yards was actually a little intimidating. Knowing that we had to wait for the door to open, you get locked into those metal doors that are super heavy, I imagine. Not that I ever moved them or touched them. And show your badge and, you know, checking out keys. And that was another thing that I had to learn. And then being able to door open. So once that door opens, you're like, I can breathe. Okay, I'm stepping on. And then you step out and it's like, just feels like a desert. I feel like I was in the Sahara Desert or something. It's exactly what it felt like the first day in Perryville. I was like, is like a camel going to come? <laughs> is this Arabian Nights? I don't know. Then I see this van just like hauling butt, like just going crazy. And I was like, who's driving the van? I'm thinking like, okay, it's the correctional officers. They're driving and they're just like, they don't care about life. So they're going to drive really fast in the van. And then two girls just bust out in uniform and they'll like open up the door and just swing it open. I was like, what's happening? Like my head is just like cannot wrap that. Like these inmates are about to pick me and the other lab girl. And they're wearing orange. Yeah. Hmm, what's I'm up like, with this? And they don't have like handcuffs. I'm like, Okay, now I'm getting scared a little bit. Yeah, because I don't know what they did, right? That's the first day. So then they take me out to the Lumley unit, which is like the high security, right? And everybody's mentioning this to me. They're like, okay, now I have to go through the whole gate process again. We wait for the door to open. You go in, show your badge, and then get out. Then you step into the medical, and it's like kind of a relief because then you're like, oh, thank God there's AC in here because I would die. Here we're talking about in June in Phoenix, like around 2009-ish. I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here, but let's, yeah, let's give June, it a try. June's our hottest month. Boy, yeah. we get up anywhere from 110, 115 degrees in June without adding an eye. And I think it would have been okay, you know, but like, I might be in an AC, but the girls that are getting through process with me, they're not in AC. And let's just say some people had some pretty bad stench. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not their fault. <laughs> I mean, it's not their fault, but you know. Yeah, it was funky because they don't have AC. We were lucky like in the yard offices and medical, we had AC and admin area, but the inmates had swamp coolers. Yeah. And it sometimes it was, I, I remember them saying like, oh, my swamp cooler doesn't work. I can't stay cool. I even remember, I think Newcomb even mentioned that one time yeah. that she was just like. Everything was swampy. Yeah. Their sheets, their clothes, it just was blah. Yeah, pretty gross. Yeah, so they love to come to medical and be like, oh, take my blood, do something, just let me be in medical. <laughs> and they probably donate a kidney just so they can be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she's showing me what I need to be prepared, like counting, you know, needles, making all the sharps are being counted for. You know, at the time when you're going into something like this, that's something you don't worry about in a doctor's office or in a lab when you're actually doing it in the outside world. Yeah, because people aren't going to steal them and do bad things with them. I mean, they probably do. We don't know. We just never count them. You know, that experience right there alone, like, kind of freaked me out a little. Made me realize, like, okay, I have to be careful what I'm doing and where I'm putting things at. Then we kind of went through the whole process and we did a few checking in of the inmates and doing the DNA swabs and stuff. And then I was getting a little more confident stuff. And then she's like, pulls me over to like this computer from like 1990 or something to schedule appointments for like yeah, windows 80 i think <laughs> oh my gosh it was like ms dos or something the program too to even schedule for appointments because you know we had the diabetics people that needed maintenance care right so here i'm like oh my gosh i would get these orders and i had to schedule and i was like okay 
this is going to be really scary. So she's like, hey, we have a couple appointments this afternoon after lunch that we need to go see. And I was like, go see? Don't they come to us? She's like, no, we got to go to them. And I'm like, I still didn't understand what she meant by that. Here I am, like, we're walking out and I'm like, oh my gosh, where are we going? And all like, inmates are just walking around, roaming the world. Like, they don't have, they, they're just open, right? There's, I'm expecting it to be like movies, right? Everybody's like walking around in chains or something. I don't know what I was expecting, okay? My expectations were probably nowhere near what really happens, right? And so we're walking out to where like all like bad murders, death row people are at. And so I find out later on, of course, that's what that unit area is. Lumley, it was 30 yard? 30 yeah. yard. Yeah, yeah, old 30 yard. Yeah, that the death, death row, because there was just a few of them were just smack dab in that lockdown unit. Right. And so I remember going over there and then they had like this little room on the side that was considered for medical. And we had a few, like we, it was two girls that needed, they couldn't get their labs done. And that time I did get to experience where they were chained up still and they wouldn't let them go of the chain. Maybe they would let go of one, like the wrist or something to draw the blood. But sometimes it was just a little intimidating just sitting there and watching this all be there because I'm thinking okay what did this person do why can't they remove her chains like what if she like goes crazy and goes ballistic and like what if today's the day she's deciding you know what everybody's going down with me <laughs> you know my head's thinking that way you know? yeah and that's not a bad thought because you just sometimes you never know you never know so here I am with the needle like I'm getting prepared to draw her her labs and all I'm thinking is do not put that down next to her hands because she's just gonna grab it and jam <laughs> right in your neck and I'm like you know, I'm traumatizing myself because that nothing like that even happened. Like, she was such a nice person. Like, I don't even remember who that was, but she did not cause any problems. Then we went back and it was like time for us to get packed up and ready for the next day. And I remember leaving, getting picked up again by the inmates to take us out to the front main, like, admin building, checking back the keys in. And I was just like, get in my car. And the first thing I did was put the AC on and I called my mom and dad and was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be in for life, maybe. <laughs> my parents were like, well, you made it the first day. Let's see how it goes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my first experience. Things that you're never prepared for. You know, for, for me, I was working at the VA, and one of my coworkers got a job at county, and she's like, you got to come down here. You're going to love it. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's jail. Who, jail. Yeah, who wants to be in jail? What are you nuts? She's like, no, I'm telling you, you got you to gotta come down here. So I went, I checked it out. To say that I, would, that I didn't get hooked would be a lie. You are so ill-prepared that first time when you go. Nobody tells you anything. So, like, I had the address, you know, so I find the place, you well, know, and I nobody, parked the car. Yeah, and I didn't even know that girl's name who was supposed to meet up with me. I was not told. I just showed up, and, like, everybody's looking at me like, who the heck is this chick? We don't know who you are. Oh, yeah. And here they are calling to call medical, like, figure out, like, hey, were you guys expecting some chick named Vanessa? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know what you mean. So yeah, you, you you find the facility because I got to cut my teeth at Australia at the infamous Tent City with old Sheriff Joe. So, you know, you finally get to where you're going and you're like coming in this lobby and you're like looking around like, where am I? You know, what's going on? And at least at Australia, you kind of come in with the lobby and then there's like the slider. And well, th there's one officer in the lobby and they've got the metal detector. And so... I was coming from another job to go check this out. So I've got my bag with me. And so nobody told me what you can and can't bring. So I've got my bag and I'm coming through and I'm like, hello. I'm like, I have this ID and I'm like, I'm supposed to report to medical. And they're like, oh, yeah, 
He didn't even walk me through it at the time. County, if you were staff, they never checked your bags and you didn't go through the metal detector. Wow. Which now I look back at that and I'm like, what were you people thinking? They weren't. You know, no one cared. I could have had a bazooka in that bag. You would never have known. (laughs) You know, who knows what I had? And we could have our cell phones. Oh. Bizarre. I mean, we couldn't like have them out with us, but you could actually bring them in the building. Just, oh, throw it in your bag or your purse, throw it in your locker and life is good. So I come in, he's like, oh yeah, you know, go to medical. He's like, yeah, just go through the slider. Because county always called it slider, and then DOC was more Sally Port, but it was like, yeah, just go through the slider. I'm like, slider? Am I at White Castle? What's a slider? <laughs> and so I look back now and go, I was so freaking naive. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. what's a slider? Well, you got to go through that door. And I'm like, wow. I'm thinking to myself, wow, that looks just like those doors in the prison movie. So mm-hmm. as I'm walking up to it, guy's like up in this control room, and it was just like the movie. It's like, ching, 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 ching. Door opens up, and you're like... Wow, that's really trippy. So you you step in and it's, oh, I don't know what, four feet wide or so. And you step in this and then you hear ching, 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 ching. And when it goes behind you and just slam, it's just the sound of just giant steel slamming against giant steel. There's just this echo and just clang. And I'm like, that is the sound from every prison movie. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm standing in this thing. And it feels like I'm in there for 20 minutes. I probably was in there a minute because the officer, as I later found out, he's got to switch controls and do things. And, you know, the phone's ringing. So I'm standing in there and I just remember thinking, oh, God, please let me out. I'm like, (laughs) I think I have a candy bar and a piece of gum. I'll give it to you. Just let me out. And so I just like, I look up at this officer like, oh, God, he looks down. He's smiling. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hits the button. Here goes the front door. Ching, 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 ching. And I I remember stepping out and I was thinking, oh, thank God, I'm out of that. Yeah. Okay. I'm out of that. And what am I into? Yeah. What's the next step? It was almost better. (laughs) Staying in there. (laughs) Staying in there. So I get out. I'm in this massive hallway. So when I first started at County, they were still in the blues, the blue scrubs Mm -hmm. and the the denim. So I, you know, blue people are walking around, whatever. And, you know, I see the detention officers and like, obviously out of place and looking around like, duh, where am I? I was like, excuse me. Like, oh, what do you need, miss? Uh, tell me where medical is. Oh, yeah, go down there. First door on the right. Oh, okay. I go down, open the door, come in. Like, I'm in medical. So I pass by what they call the tank, which they'll take a group of inmates from an area, put them in the tank. There's a medical officer. And then they pull them out one by one for their appointments for whatever they need to see. Walking through medical. Yeah, put your stuff here. Everybody just automatically expected me to know what, what was, was going on? And I had no idea. I had never been there before. I had no idea what the layout was. I had nothing. So like, yeah, come on, we'll give you the tour. So I got a little tour and, you know, oh, we'll pair you up with this person and this and that. And then like, we got keys. And I'm like, keys, keys to what? And like, my car keys? Like, no, you need keys. And so, of course, at County, they had this these super big, long keys. And then I remember medical where we kept our narcotics, our medication, syringes, needles, all that stuff was like, it was almost like a giant bank vault, except mm-hmm. it was the giant prison door. Oh. So it was like almost a double cell, mm-hmm. but it was, it was the same way. And you had this big key and you had to put it in the lock and you had a spin the lock and two hands and open this door and you're like oh my lord exhausted by the time you like exactly i mean these keys it's like five pounds of keys no joke i mean every it would jingle the whole time and you're like god that's the other sound that comes from the prison movies like they whistle and then the keys jingle so fortunately nobody was whistling but i have a question did you hear a harmonica that first day did i hear what harmonica Harmonica? no i did not hear a harmonica (laughs) (laughs) i had to say that (laughs) she's talking about me 
whistling and you're like, well, maybe there's a harmonica. And no banjo either. Okay. Dang. But we were in the desert. There was no river. So, you know, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just amazing to me how you're treated. Like you, you come in and people are like, yeah, whatever. Like you've been doing this every single day. And there's so many little steps. Then I find out there's this wall of TB syringes. Mm-hmm. Because every inmate, you got to give a TB skin test so that, you know, you know they don't have TB. And if they do, then you have to treat them. And then if they would need an injection for anything else. And then there was another huge stack of insulin syringes because some inmates are diabetic. Right. We had to count this crap. And that's when I learned, like, everything that was sharp, pointy, could cut, was a tool that did anything had to be counted for. So it was like every day, sir, shift. Okay, you count the narcotics. Well, as a nurse, that... That's a given. Anywhere you go, you're counting narcotics. Now I'm counting syringes. I'm counting, you already know, oh, there's a thousand of those. Okay, I'm going to take your word for it because I'm not going to stand there and count 100 in a box times X amount of boxes because they they had it cordoned off. And then when you got in once, you like, this was a stack of a thousand and then we count these. You had to count everything. You're counting pliers, scissors, tweezers, everything that you would use in medical. Yeah. It was time consuming. I count all that. But nobody teaches you. I had no idea where to go, where anything was. It was like, yeah, here's a med cart. And that was it. Pull your medicines, put them in these envelopes. You write the inmate's name on the envelope and then go out in the hallway, pull up to a pod. They mob your cart and they're all flashing ID. Okay, Jones, okay. Jones, okay, there's your meds, okay, Smith, and they're just mobbing you. It was crazy. Yeah, it seems like a little chaos. It was crazy. Once you figured it out and you'd been there a week, then it was, you, you knew what was going on. It was it was no problem. It was like when I left that day and every time after that, I never gave that slide or a second thought. You're like more, more confident. Oh, yeah. It was just, oh, that's what we do. That's, the, you know, it's fine. I had been through it. The first day I was like, holy crap, what is this? And then after that, I was like, oh, you go through the slider, come in, go to medical, put your stuff down, count your sharps, do this, do that, and you just go about your day. And by then, you, you know the lay of the land. You know there's always an officer stationed in medical. You know, whenever you go to a pod or an area or a yard, there's an officer there. You know, you don't go anywhere by yourself. There was a few places that medical could just zip back and forth, Mm -hmm. like to the supervisor's office and things like that. They were like across the hallway. We didn't need to be escorted. But anytime you came down and had anything to do with inmates, there was an officer for your protection. Right. And I never objected to having an officer with me, you know, but you, you always were escorted somewhere as a just in case and they had radios and you had a radio and if you needed anything and counties were nice because they had the panic button so if something happened and you got in a corner you could hit that and it would tell the officer up in the slider oh right there that's where you need to respond she's right there so that was kind of cool yeah now you say that i don't remember remember taking a walkie or anything to 30 i mean the officer that would take us to the yard yeah he had one so imagine if something was to happen yeah i always had a radio county and County and uh, state always had a radio. And I talked on it, too. I wasn't afraid to talk on it. I don't remember a radio at Perryville. Yeah, I always had them because I had to learn to talk on them. I didn't really talk on them at county very much. It was just kind of like it was there for emergencies. Mm -hmm. I didn't really talk on it because I didn't really get to know their lingo, per se. And then at county, it was like... You, you were inside the whole time. Yeah. So it's like you went in a building and you were in that building until you left. Or conversely, when I made the change uh, to go to state and I went to Perryville, it's like you pull up and you come in and now you have to go through the metal detector and they go through your bag and they go through everything and they're wanding you and up one side and down the other and you finally get through all that. No, you don't have any contraband. You get through that, you know, you go through the main slider and you just go to medical 
they buzz you in the door, you've got your medical officer, you know, you put your stuff down, you just go to work, Mm. you know, but then medical was inside. But if you had to go out for any reason or, you know, see inmates, then you were outside. Yeah. Because Perryvale was set up, Lumley was your, your first yard, which was your max yard. It held death row and SMA and it had four yards in that What's SMA? SMA, special management area. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so we had yard 24, 26, 28, and then, of course, 30 was, was the big one that held our, our death row and all that. And then we had, you went to the second yard, which was Santa Cruz, and that was a medium yard, and that had four yards in it. And then Little San Pedro was the minimum yard, and it had two. That's where Pepe was at when she cut my hair. Santa so, Cruz? Is it Santa Cruz or Santa, Pe- Santa Pedro? I think she was Santa Cruz. I want to say it was Pedro. The one when you got in Lum, like Lummy's right here. To the left. Santa Cruz. That's and then Pedro was at the, the end. Right. Okay. Yeah. Lumley originally was San Juan. Mm. After the killing and murder of Officer Lumley, they renamed the unit. Because Perryvale was originally San Juan, uh, Santa Cruz, and San Pedro was named after the three rivers in, in Arizona. Oh. So each yard and facility is named after something. So like Flagstaff, they have Kaibab, Apache... That kind of thing. And if you go down to Tucson, they have Catalina, Rincon, which are named after the mountains that surround that area. So that's where DOC, DOC, Arizona DOC gets their their crazy names from. Yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show is uh, what happened to Officer Lumley. But then they renamed the unit. And then so they used to have the Santa Maria across the street, which was, was the women. And the Perryvale had men for a really long time, and then they all moved to Lewis. It's all women. And then they built another kind of dorm-style unit uh, over on our side, and then they renamed that one San Juan. So now it's really confusing because they went back and named it the river. So now there's four units on that side of the street. Plus they have the little juvie area for the juveniles that have been sentenced as adults. Mm -hmm. They go up there till their 18th birthday at midnight and then they get taken out and thrown on a yard. But you don't even know who's up there. They're part of complex. And so even their exercise area and that it all has those blue tarps so that none of the inmates can see them because they're still juvenile. Hmm. So they're protected. That's good. It was a little like, whoo, that first few days. But after after that, I don't know. It's like I settled right in and it was second nature. Yeah. And I think I should be scared about how comfortable I started feeling. Like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, I got pretty comfortable. I think also one of the first things that I noticed or got like a little bit of a culture shock was the, you know, because I worked in the women's prison, was the women coming in for like pap smears. And I wouldn't think, I didn't think of that whenever, you know, getting locked up that, oh, you need to steal an annual pap check. Yeah, they had their, their annual wellness checks. And what a lot of people don't realize, it costs twice as much to incarcerate a woman as a man because of their health care needs. They have much higher medical care, many more things that can go wrong. So while you have men, yeah, they're in prison. And if something comes up, you know, we'll take care of it. But your women, you've got to do your your mammos. You've got to do your paps, all that feminine stuff. Are they supplied with pads and tampons or is that something they have to purchase? No, they are. They are actually supplied with it. That's good. Pads. So yeah, it was it was quite the culture shock when the girls moved over and the male officers that had never worked with females that was that was not a happy time for them. They were not at all pleased to have to go fetch a box of sanitary pads for an inmate. They were just like, I can't even believe I'm touching the box kind of thing. Oh, yeah, especially if they're like, I wouldn't even do this for my girlfriend, my exactly. wife. Exactly, I'm not going to do it for an inmate. I'm not going to do it for somebody who was like, I'm having to... 
being here working. Yeah, the officers would just be, all I do is carry around tampons. I'm like, we don't have tampons or pads. It's the same thing. Yeah, no, it's not, but okay. <laughs> I know, I know where you're going, but yeah, sorry. That's, you know. And like men, they got, I know we're getting kind of off the, the beaten path, but they got socks, shorts, pants, shirt. And then, of course, for winter, they had jackets and they had the sweatshirts. But then, and then they would have a towel to shower. Women, so you got low panties, bra, pants, shirt. They got robes to shower in and they got two towels because of their hair. Mm. So they already had an increase in laundry and supplies. You know, the guys didn't get robes. Like, get wet and go run around the yard and dry out. You'll be fine. You know, it's Arizona. It's dry heat. (laughs) But the girls had robes and towels and all that stuff. I did not know they had robes. Yeah, and they got extra underwear and they got extra, yeah, extra underwear where the guys had the boxers. You know, so like whatever they were issued, I mean, they got more. I think they got more than one pair, but they only had X amount. But with the girls, you had double underwear, Hmm. you know, because you had upper and lower underwear it's interesting because the whole time i was there i've never actually been inside any of the cells the only time i ever saw a cell was on like fox news or something because they were like reporting it because oh this is what a cell looks like i just remember asking nuka one time how do you watch the news and she's like she had to work a lot of hours to even buy this little black and white Mm -hmm. tv wasn't that even in color so i mean i don't know if things have changed now from you know 12 years ago but that's life in there yeah it's not easy you don't have a lot of room I mean, if it we found, at least for me, I'm talking personally, if I found it difficult even just working there of the experience and the steps that you had to do just to do your job, imagine being an inmate and having to have like a culture shock of this is your life now. I, you know, I have a lot of questions about what that process looked like, even though I only saw the inmates just to draw their blood work and to do their DNA, like that's the first and last time I'll ever see them unless they were diabetics. I'll never see them. I don't really know their name. I don't memorize anything. Like, I just, I don't care to know either. But it was very like, okay, see you. Hi, bye. That was just so weird because a lot of those girls that would come in, they were just so scared because now they've gotten symptoms and now they know they're leaving the county jail and going to the prison. And now it's like, I finally got to know some of the officers. I got to know some people. And now I have to start all brand new and get to know people. Yeah, a whole new system. A whole new system. A whole new verbiage. Because it's at county, they had a thing called a tank order. And on the tank order, you could check off whatever you needed. You needed legal stuff. You needed medical. You needed psych. You needed a Bible. You needed stationery, different things like that. You fill out, they call a tank order, and it was for everything. You just checked off the box you need. But then when you get to prison, they had their stuff that they could get from security. But for ours, it was the health needs request or the H&R where they could request medical and psych services. So the terminology changes. So like the inmates would come, you could tell the ones from county, yeah, I need a tank order. We don't have those. Do you need medical or you need something from security? And they just like, look at you like, why are you asking? Like medical is this form, security is that form. And security has all the forms. We get them filled out. We don't have blank ones, which they could never understand that concept. Yeah, it's a whole different world now going from the jail to prison. So yeah, but their their communication. But yeah, it was definitely eye-opening. Absolutely. Something completely different. Like I definitely had a big takeaway from working in the prison system. I used to always tell the inmate girls, like, I don't want to be your roommate, okay? (laughs) And I would just, like, see them and just thought, I never want to commit a crime. And, you know, one of the inmates was if you commit a crime, make sure you go to federal prison, don't come to state. Never really understood that until, like, I really started getting more into the true crime. And, you know, you can have more of a luxury life, I guess. 
For certain things. For, for certain things. Yeah. yeah. Don't do the heavy duties. <laughs> do do the white collar stuff and, and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I was always glad and grateful that when I started my career behind bars that I got to start off at the county level because I just, I think it was really important because I could really make the distinction early on just because you were arrested doesn't mean you were guilty. Anybody can be arrested at any time. And I, I just don't think people understand how close they can come to that. Now you get arrested, you get booked, you come in the county jail, you go before a judge, you may or may not get bond, you may or may not make your bond, depending on what the price is. And then you can go out and go to trial. Then if and when you're convicted, come back and finish your sentence. And county was usually a year and under. They call it detention because we were just detaining you. Correction was usually typically a year and over, but not everybody I saw wasn't necessarily guilty. So it made it a little bit easier to treat them a little more respectfully and have a little bit more understanding because just because they were here doesn't mean that they were sentenced and convicted yet. Right. And I think it goes back to like I, every person that came into the, whether they were newbies or just maintenance, you know, lab work that they were getting done, I always just saw them as a patient. And it, a lot of people have a really hard time of just saying, oh, they did the time they've been already convicted. So guess what? They're, you, sh- you shouldn't treat them like humans. It's very difficult to, to just, you can't take away that medical mentality either. You go into healthcare because you want to care about people. You take care of them. Even right now where I work at, if there was an emergency, just because I work in farm and like the pharmaceutical side of the world, I would still jump in because it's just natural in my emergency response to just take action. And because you're saving a life, you can never like take out that mentality from somebody that works in medical. Oh, yeah. And people used to be, at least a lot of the medical people would just be really cold and, and nasty to some of the inmates. And I always, in the back of my mind, just always kind of remember it. I mean, it's like, do you know what the difference is between an inmate and just a regular person? Nothing yet. The inmate was the one that got caught. It, it's just that finite of, of a difference, you know, and people get all carried away. Oh, well, they were just. Yes, we have our really horrific crimes and our really horrible people that did really bad things. But prison encompasses a lot. And there are some people in there for not so bad of things that just made a mistake and wish they could do it all over again. You know, yes, I worked on the yard with the Hannibal Lecters and the more because I tended to work a higher custody yard all through my career, and I prefer a higher custody yard. But not everybody in there is some crazy person that... You see in movies. Yeah. Just because somebody's in prison doesn't mean that they can't make a change and improve their life. Well, I think this is a a great way to start our, our season two. And I know I have a lot of questions of just, I'm putting my shoes in the inmate's perspective. And... What would that process look like if I was to become an inmate? Like, say I got arrested for some reason, like unknown. Like, you can get arrested for anything, like you said. So I'm looking forward to the second episode so I can ask so many questions. Yeah, there's a lot to know and a lot to talk about. And I'm excited because hopefully we are going to have some guest speakers with us that have been in the trenches with us and they can really help answer some of these questions and, and bring a bring a different perspective. Yes, I'm so looking forward to it. But until then... We just want to sign off and say thank you and continue following us. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Thank you so much. And just stay safe and remember to be kind. And take care. All right. We will see you guys next time. Thanks. Bye.
Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Nymph for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Nymph for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.